you wouldn't know this by looking at me, um, but I have a 12-year-old daughter. And you're like, no way, Keith, you look like you're maybe 19. (laughs) Ah, shucks. Appreciate that. Thank you. Something has recently happened within the last two months that I never thought would happen. Um, and I don't know when it happened. I don't know when this changed. There, I didn't get a memo. I didn't get an email. I didn't get a text message. But I began to realize I have no idea what my daughter is talking about when she talks about things. She began to, hey, have you heard this song by such and such person? I'm like, no, I don't even, is that a real, I've never heard of them. Who is that? Is this, where am I? And then, and this is what she loves, is K-pop. She loves Korean pop music. And let me tell you, how do you know, Keith? Because it's blasting consistently in my house or in her head through headphones. And I'll be sitting in the living room hearing it just thumping through her bedroom door. And I'm like, I have no idea what is happening in there, but she is singing every word, and I have no idea what's happening. And I realize, Keith, you are getting older. (laughs) And just like when you were that age and you thought to yourself, man, mom and dad, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You're out of touch. You can't, you don't know what I'm saying. I am there. And it was in that moment I thought of my father and my mother, and I said, Mom and Dad, God, I am sorry for all that I did. There's this disconnect. There's this barrier. Because, again, she'll keep rattling off, and I'm sitting there hearing her sing and belt Korean music, and I'm like, I don't even know. I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do. I hope everything is okay. I hope everything will work out. But the funny thing is, that is the same type thing that can happen for believers, those that follow Jesus, when communicating with individuals that are not followers of Jesus. Sometimes we can get wrapped up in in what I love to call and make fun of called Christianese, where we just start saying all these really big, fancy, churchy words that no one outside of the church has any clue what they mean unless they go online and look on Google. We stand in here and we're singing these songs like it's a concert. And why are y'all lifting your hands? This is kind of like, ugh, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Are you, wait, are you guys like worshiping the people on stage? No, they can't be because they're also lifting their hands. Ah, oh, man, what, in the, what is happening here? There can be this disconnect. And the passage of scriptures, we're journeying through the book of Acts together. We're going to talk about that. How can we figure out and speak a language that we all can understand, that we all can hear? So I'd love for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And as we're in this series, you're like, man, I'm so sick of the book of Acts. You're going to get even more sick of it because we are living in Acts all summer. I love verse-by-verse teaching. So Luke, a doctor in the first century, he wrote this book. This Again, sometimes it's called Acts of the Apostles, depending upon what translation of Scripture you have. And what it is, it's documentation, history, research done about the early church. How did the early church start? What happened? Where did it spread? Where did it go? And this is the same individual, the author of this book, also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Surprise, surprise. Luke wrote a book called Luke. So what's happening is in this moment, Christ has ascended. He's resurrected. He's ascended back to heaven. 
And then they, the followers of Christ, the disciples, they do what Christ told them to do, which is go to an upper room and pray. So they go to this upper room. Some scholars believe it was the house of Mark. And they're up there, again, having a prayer meeting. And then we kind of get into what's going to take place here in Acts chapter 2. But what's also taking place, what's happening outside of this room, is the Jews, they're there in Jerusalem, gathered together to celebrate one of the two of the three great feasts and festivals that they have, which is called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, Penta means 50, so Pentecost was celebrated 50 days after Passover, which was this last Passover was when Christ was, again, he was on trial, when he was beaten, when he was murdered, and when he resurrected back to life. That all happened during Passover. So 50 days later, we have the Feast of Pentecost. And what this is for them in tradition is them celebrating the law, the Torah being given to Moses. It's them honoring that moment. So all of that's happening in Jerusalem while these guys and individuals are upstairs in this room having a prayer meeting. Um, and most individuals, some scholars will say, you know, there was close to 200 individuals in this room. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. When I think of this passage, when I read it and I think the upper room, I don't think hundreds. I thought like, I don't know, 15, 20 people. So that's like this, like a gathering like this. They're up there and they're praying. And then this is what happens. Let's read together, starting there in verse 1 of chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Uh-huh. Then, this is the part that always throws people for a loop. By them, I mean me. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everybody say, all right. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Now, let's pause here for a moment. All right, we're not going to push through these few verses, just kind of overshadow this, this incredible supernatural moment that just took place. Now, there are so many intricate details that, of why does this matter. And here's why. See, up to this point, before Jesus, the Holy Spirit was not with anyone. The promise that God, Jesus said, you know, I'm gonna, the, after I leave, there's going to be the helper. The counselor will come. So up and until this point, if you wanted to interact and have time with the Lord, guess what? It looked like you just reading the Torah if you were a follower of God. That was it. So the significance here of, again, as it says there, settled on each of them. It's not that one individual was filled with the Holy Spirit, but all of them individually were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that they began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. You're thinking, man, this is crazy. It gets crazier. Verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Israel because for this feast, for Pentecost, what they would do is uh, Jewish individuals from all around would travel to Jerusalem. And here's what was incredible. These individuals weren't all speaking the same language. They were bilingual. So they're showing up and they're in their own cluster of individuals where they speak their language. They're from the same region. They're from the same area. When they heard the loud noise, verse 6, everyone came running. Because, again, as it said there in, uh, in verse 2, it says, a, 
sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. That means it was not just inside the upper room. They weren't insane. Other people heard this. They came running. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Verse 9, here we are, and then it's a list of all these individuals, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and con converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Is that not incredible? Can you imagine, like, that's like me speaking English here, but yet you hear it in your native language of uh, French, uh, Swahili, uh, Spanish. That's crazy. That's insane. And then do you know what they did? They freaked out and started worshiping the Lord. No, they did exactly what we all do. We try to make a natural explanation for something that's supernatural. It says they stood there and were amazed, perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. Some of you are assuming this. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. And that's still true today. And see, here's the other fact. The wine that they would have been consuming, it wasn't as strong and potent as the wine is today. So if they were liquored up at 9 o'clock in the morning, they would have been having to start way earlier in the day. It's interesting here how God timed this moment so perfectly. That these disciples and followers of Christ, they were meeting for just, they were just being obedient to Christ. They gathered in this upper room. They were praying. They were waiting on the promise that Jesus had said. They didn't know what that meant. And then this, this incredible, miraculous, supernatural moment took place. I mean, again, picture if you can, out of nowhere, this giant windstorm sound from outside this building. And then what looks like tongues of fire just starts hovering over our heads. I can't, I can't, I don't get it either. Don't. Mm -mm. I can't. I read through commentary after commentary trying to understand what in the world is there something, is this symbolic? Was this a literal thing that took place? And yes. So here I am trying to picture all these individuals devoting themselves to prayer and then out of nowhere, a windstorm and, and little flames, like a little big lighter. But the significance is that, again, when you read throughout the Old Testament, the power of God's spirit is typically demonstrated through the power of wind and also of fire. And there's a lot of controversy about this passage of Scripture. There are individuals that have abused this passage of Scripture. 
You see, the tongues that they were speaking, it wasn't like this heavenly language that Paul talks about in Corinthians. They were speaking human earthly languages. It was a supernatural moment, but natural effects and results because people were hearing the good things that God had done. They were hearing it in their own language. And here's what's incredible. When you continue reading, Peter, after his message there, 3,000 people begin to follow Jesus because of this moment. So understand, thousands of people are here at this moment in Scripture. Thousands. And because, again, God orchestrated by his sovereignty this perfect moment. Because another time of the year would all these people be here. They were there for the feast. They were there for Pentecost. And yet now, God has used it in this moment to, again, fill these individuals with the Holy Spirit. They left the upper room and they shared the gospel and this miraculous thing. So what are we going to talk about? What do we need to grasp from this passage of scripture? No, we're not going to be lighting our heads on fire today. I'm really sorry if you thought we were going to get into that. Here's the big idea. Learn their language to leverage the gospel. In our lives, there are people that we share life with. Coworkers, family members, family, friends, strangers. We have to leverage their language learn their language to leverage the gospel. And any missionary would tell you to learn the language, learn the customs, learn the culture of an area before you go and minister there. Why? Because you, one, you don't want to offend people. And two, if we can be really honest, we don't want to look like idiots. I remember when a few years ago, right before the big shutdown happened, uh, I went to Kenya and let me tell you, in the weeks and the months leading up to that trip, I was watching as many YouTube videos and reading as many articles on the culture there because here's why. Guess what? I didn't want to look like an idiot. I didn't want to be the dumb American that they expected. Let me be honest with you. But the same thing happens with the people that we share our lives with. That we're, again, we're called by Scripture to share the gospel but there are times with all of our effort, what we end up doing is we're not speaking the same language. And it's not relatable. It doesn't connect. See, Jesus, he spoke in parables when you read throughout the Gospels. Why? Because it was effective. Because it was stories that they could connect, the symbolism that would communicate deep truth. Because otherwise, really all they had was reading the Torah, the first five books of Scripture. That was it. So when Jesus in Matthew 13, when he talks about four different types of soil, how there's one type of soil where the seed doesn't get planted, that the birds swoop in and take it, and he's speaking in language that they'll understand. So they can grasp it, they can carry it with them. We have to learn their language first. And as a church, this is so true, because this is some of this, what we're talking about today is about us as a church, but also us as individuals, followers of Jesus. Because what happens is when we as a church become unrelatable, irrelevant, we die. Thousands of churches close every year. And one of the reasons is because they stop speaking the right language. Now, I'm going to give a quick disclaimer. Because I guarantee you there's at least one of you in here thinking, I knew it. You're just going to, you, you're changing scripture so we can fit. No, no, no. The message stays the same. The truth of scripture reigns. The method shifts. You see, I grew up in an area where if you go to church, you have to dress up. 
You have to wear that. I remember as a kid, there was one church I went to, I was wearing shorts at a Wednesday night service, which was supposed to be the relaxed service. And the preacher from the pulpit talked about how, how unchristian it was to wear shorts in church. And I look at my mom who gave me the approval for these shorts. <laughs> like, mom, what'd you do to me? Why are you like this? But I have another friend who, the one time he tried church, he was wearing jeans, he was wearing like a polo t-shirt, he sat in the back, and before the service even started, the individual walks up to him and asks him to leave because he wasn't wearing the right thing. Now, now listen, I am not knocking or talking against people dressing up. I am all for it. Just not today. But what I want to communicate is that there is a time and a season where the methods that we use are no longer effective. And we have to be willing to adapt so that we can stay relatable, so we can stay relevant with the truth of the gospel. Not water it down, not sugarcoat it, but to be able to deliver it in a way that it is receptive. It's kind of like, I don't know, again, I love takeout food. I love when you get to go eat somewhere and you have leftovers because it's like you get two meals for the price of one. Am I right? Especially nowadays. Whew. But if they give me a bowl of soup in a normal like clamshell kind of thing, that is a terrible delivery system for soup, right? I'm going to burn myself and it's going to get everywhere. The same is true for how we deliver the gospel. We have to be related. We have to learn their language. Because if we can't, if we don't, then we won't be able to share it effectively. Because, if, again, if we fail to understand where people are, then we can't get them to where they need to be. If we fail in this, and then here's what happens. Here's what happens. I'm going to be honest with you. And I say that, because, and I know this is true because this is where I've been. Well, I did it. It's not my fault. That's, you know, that's half truth. But the question is, are you willing to do what it takes short of sin to share the gospel? to illustrate Christ in the most effective way available. See, it's kind of like a doctor. You know, a good doctor doesn't give the same prescription to everybody. All right, if I show up and my, like, arm is broken and he just says, just take two Tylenol and call me in the morning, I'm going to wonder if he's truly a doctor or if he's just operating out the back of his uh, Toyota Camry, all right? A good doctor listens, assesses, and then adapts to bring healing. The same is true for how we have to share the gospel. We listen, we adapt to allow God to bring healing. We have to personally understand people. We have to understand the culture around us. Guys, we're living in a day and age where it seems like everything that is accepted in the world and their values, it completely contradicts what's within the church. Now here's the thing. That is because we stay with biblical truth. We are as clear as scripture is clear. But how can we still preach and share the gospel in a way that is effective, in a way that is relevant? And the thing is, and this is what we have to do, we have to customize our approach to maximize the most. We have to change. We do. We just do. Well, Keith, you can't say that. Guys, I am currently in kind of like blue jeans, a flannel shirt. We have these really crazy lights. There's this giant screen. We have an online. Guys, we have changed. If you, fast, if you were to rewind church as it was 30 years ago, 
It would no, be nothing like this. Something like this would be really, that's kind of weird and scary. I don't want to be a part of that. That might be a cult. But this has become what used to be, when you say, well, I asked a traditional church. Guess what, guys? We're becoming, this is what a traditional church is like. We may not have pews. We may have chairs. We may not wear a suit and tie every single week. But guess what? If we do not change, if we do not adapt and deliver the truth of the gospel, we will die. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Jesus. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles, I do not follow the Jewish law. I, too, live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. This is what I love, these last two verses, 22 and 23. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. I'm going to read that last verse. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. You see, the point of what Paul is communicating here is not that he acted one way with one person. The whole point was bringing people to Christ, sharing the gospel. And that meant the way he would communicate, the way he would have to live would shift some. But as he says, listen, I did not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. So he didn't change his morals. He didn't change his values. He changed the delivery system. He changed the method. He didn't change the message. I find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. We need to know that there is no one-way approach to sharing the gospel. There's no one right way. I grew up thinking that there was only one way to share the gospel. That was through a, a method or a program called evangelism explosion. You kind of have to say that way, otherwise it's not effective. But again, just like that doctor, sharing the gospel looks different depending upon you and depending upon the individual that you're sharing the gospel with. Just like Paul, as he was talking about, he adapted to them, not so that he could be buddy-buddy with them, but the whole point was to build relationship to share the gospel. We have to customize our approach to broaden our ability. Now, one thing I love about us as a church, we try to be as practical as possible. So here are two awesome tools that if you don't know about, now you will. And if you still don't know about them, it's because you're not paying attention. The first one is a book called Contagious Faith. Contagious Faith. Here's what this book is about. This book is about sharing the gospel. But it's sharing the gospel in different styles and different ways. Because guess what? I don't know if you knew this, but we're not all the same. We all have different personality types. Some of you are introverts. Some of you are extroverts. Some of you are passive. Some of you are extremely direct. Some of you are very humble, and the rest of us are very stubborn. 
all of us have a different method and different way that we can naturally communicate and share the gospel. So this book is an incredible resource to read through and become better equipped in the ability of sharing the truth of the gospel. Another great resource is online. It's a podcast called Evangelism on Fire. Evangelism on Fire. Uh, And that's a shameless plug because uh, our Richmond City Campus pastor, Mark Thomas, that's his podcast. And that is his niche. That is what he loves. He loves getting to go to the bus station right down from our Richmond campus and just sharing the gospel with strangers, some that he may see again, some that he may not see again. And some of you are thinking, when I even said the word share the gospel, evangelize, be an evangelist, oh, I'm not gifted for that. I pray for them, though. Praise God. Um, I'm pretty sure you're not Gordon Ramsay, but sometime this week you're going to cook and you're going to eat food. I don't care if you're gifted. Every believer is called to share the gospel. It's the something that we're all, it doesn't matter if you feel gifted or not, if you want to or not. Guess what? I don't want to. I'm an introvert. I'm scared of what people are going to say. I'm afraid I'm not going to have the right answers. So how do we do this? How do we learn the language? How do we leverage it so that we can clearly communicate the gospel? The first way is yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 2 says, Suddenly there was the sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. If we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, He will guide us. He will give us the words to say. He will give us wisdom in the moment. And how can you say that, Keith? Because it's happened. And there is nothing more beautiful than when an idiot like me can see God do something miraculous because I don't have it. Luke chapter 12, verse 12, talks about the Holy Spirit will guide and give words to say when brought before others. God will give you wisdom and answers in the moment. But we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. We have to allow him to lead us. Listen, they didn't stay in the upper room. They ended up leaving the upper room and going out into the streets. We can't stay huddled here. The second thing we have to do is we have to live in their world. Live in their world. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 2 says, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Do you realize, if you didn't know this, God can literally do anything. Anything. And yet, he chose to allow Jesus, God in the flesh, to be here. That Jesus did not have to come to earth. God could have worked it out in, a, in whatever way he wanted to. He could have, like, flooded the earth with Noah, just go ahead and went and killed all of them, just started right over. Like, you know, Adam and Eve weren't all that. We'll, we'll go with, like, Charles and Carla. Because uh, he chose to be with us, to dwell with us, to teach us, to help us to understand. And the same is true for you and for me. We can't stay huddled together in just our Christian bubbles. Now listen, I believe there's wisdom, okay? I'm not saying that we need to go out there and start part. There's a difference between living in the world, living of the world. There's a difference between living in the world and having biblical Christ-centered values that permeate everything within your life. There's a difference in that and being of the world where you can't see a difference between a Christ follower and someone that doesn't follow Christ. There should be a difference between the two. 
But Paul said, this is Keith's paraphrase, I did whatever it took to win some. I learned the language. I spent time with individuals. I built relationship to win some. There's a sum in your life. Workplace, you may have family members that are far from God, and God wants to use you to impact their life with the gospel. We have to yield to the Holy Spirit. We have to live in their world. And then we have to relate the gospel to them. We have to build a bridge from them to the gospel. Verses 7 and 8, chapter 2 of Acts says, They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our native languages. They heard their language being spoken. You see, one, a great tool, if you will, because see, here's the truth. When I talk about evangelism, I'm not talking about putting a notch in your belt. I'm not talking about, oh, man, I got another one today. Listen, guys, we're not fishing, all right? We're not trying to go hook the big one. We're building a relationship because, see, here's the truth about following Christ. We do it with each other. We do it within community. One of the easiest ways, because some of you are like, I don't know how to start that conversation. How do I share the gospel with someone? Like, you can walk up and awkwardly, hey, if you died right now, would you go to heaven or hell? Totally. Go for it. Another thing you can do is listen for a cue. Listen for them with a friend or someone talks about a crisis that they're going through. If they're talking about, man, my job is getting heavy, it's hectic, I'm so stressed, so weighed down, something as smooth and as easy as saying, hey, I'm so sorry you're facing that. Can I pray for you? Will you be okay if I prayed for you? You can ask them to pray with them. That's cool. They might be creeped out, but they may be okay with it. Can I pray for you? See, the whole, one of the key things is helping them to know automatically where you stand. What do you stand for? And then you get to go, hey, I prayed for you last week about such and such. How is that going? Why is that so great? Because it's relational. God is relational. And that can feel terrifying. But let me tell you, it's like 30 seconds of terrified, and then you're okay. You can push through the awkwardness. You see, the truth is our faith in Christ is not meant to be hoarded for ourselves. It's to be shared. It's to be given away. Did you know 61% of Christians do not intentionally share their faith on a regular basis? And a regular basis would be within the last six months. So that means, theoretically speaking, if there are 300 Christian believers in this room right now, that means only 117 have shared their faith in the last six months. And if you're a Christ follower, there is no in-between. It's this or that. You're either a part of the 61% of not or the percentage that have. And I'm going to be completely straight up with you. I am in the 61% that have not. Yep. 
So, Keith, how can you stand up there? This whole time, I thought that you've been out there pounding the pavement and share. Mm-mm. I am petrified. I am scared. So I think it's quite ironic that the week that I'm getting to preach and share with you is about the thing I stink at the most. And as I was thinking through and praying and saying, really, really, God, you're going to do this to me? He's like, you doggone right I am. He probably didn't say that. Here's the truth. Our love for others has to go beyond this temporary moment of life. My love for others has to go into their eternity. If I truly, again, we talk about love, and I love everybody. Well, do you love them enough to be awkward for two minutes and share the gospel? That's, and, and understand, hear me. I'm not speaking this at you. I'm in the boat with you. We are rolling this bad boy together. I have to think to myself when I'm out and about living my life, doing my things, hanging out with friends that don't follow Jesus, I have to be in part, not of the 61%, but those that want to share the gospel, those that want to think about, man, where are they going to be if they died? Are they going to be in heaven? Are they going to be in hell? I don't know. Let me ask them. Just, let's just find out right now together. We have to learn the language so we can leverage the gospel. And again, you may not be gifted. You may fumble and bumble through the entire conversation, but guess what? They're going to walk away with knowing. Even if they don't say yes, they're going to know that you care. And here's the next thing. When they have crisis, when they have spiritual questions, guess who they're going to go to and ask? You. Why? Because you asked them first. (laughs) Because you cared. Because you invited them to sit with you. Because you asked them about eternity. You cared more about what happens later instead of just the now. I'm going to read this passage from Paul that he wrote to this church in Corinth one more time. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessings. Everything. My hope and desire for you and for me, that if you're a follower of Jesus, is that this reminds you of what you're called to do. Because we can be so easily distracted. I'm sorry. I can be so easily distracted. This is the purpose of our existence. To follow Jesus and to bring others with him, to him. So here in a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for all of us that are followers of Jesus. That God would ignite a passion within us to share the gospel to be his hands and feet. And then after that, if you're here with us today and you don't have a relationship with God, but today you get to make the choice, there's going to be a time of prayer with you as well. But let's pray together. God, I'm so thankful that, God, you are with us and you are for us. God, you made a way of salvation and not of our own ability.
Because we cannot save ourselves. But through the finished work of Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sins. We can have eternal life by faith because of your grace. God, remind us that we have not saved ourselves. Remind us that we are called to share the gospel, that we are called to do everything we can, everything. God, help us to build our entire lives around it. God, help us to build even our hobbies, our selfishness, the things that we want to try to keep to ourselves. God, let it be inundated with you. God, may your presence, God, invade. God, help us to yield to the Holy Spirit that as the Holy Spirit leads and guides, that, God, we walk in obedience and boldness. God, help us, God, as we listen in conversation for cues that we can uh, share our care for the individual and share the gospel. God, let us not be out of touch. But, God, let us speak their language so they can rightfully hear the goodness of the gospel, of your truth, of your power, of your love, of your grace, of your mercy. God, let us walk in obedience to what you've called us to. And as we continue to pray this morning, if you're here with us in the room or joining us online, campus, and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, you, there's not a list of things you, you have to do and don't do. It is to believe and to confess, as Paul wrote in Romans, to believe that Jesus died and came back to life. But in his resurrection, we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It's to believe that and to confess that. And in a way of confession this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me if you want to make a decision to follow Christ and to say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, I am forgiven of my sins. I confess that you are Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you. And it's your holy name we pray. Amen.